back everyone to murder lies and everything in between a true crime podcast with me jess and my husband atty hi guys hope everyone's had a really really good week it took us about five ten minutes to record this actually because atty wouldn't shut up what do you mean i wouldn't shut up we were just you having a conversation would no no there's a conversation and then there's analogies between demons and god and I was having a conversation with you about it, how you always see... Guys, what we say, I was saying is, in most horror films, you always see these demons, yeah, whether they've got wing, like wings, horns, really dark souls, and the, and the people are praying to God, and God never... You never see God come down. You never see him as a figure, if that makes sense. You always see the demons and yeah. how evil they are, and they're from the depths of hell and all this malarkey, but you never see God... Like a... Ver- what? So, like a version of God, do you mean? Yeah, like, you know... Every, there seems to be loads of different demons or the devil and things like that, but you never see yeah. like God. You know what I mean? You never see. Yeah. You know, you might see that like, people would say angels, whatever, with yeah, the wings yeah. and the things like. But you never actually like see King Constantine. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but you again. That was the angel Gabriel, wasn't it? But you see the angels. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you never see, actually. You God see per- as a Yeah. Human you see being, a person, yeah. angel, like with the wings and everything. Like, yeah. but how many demons did you actually see in that film? Quite a few, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Evil, evil ones, and, yeah, and, God, and they, you didn't, and you never actually see God. No, you saw him more as a force towards the end, didn't you? When a force, but at least yeah. you saw at the end. By the way, guys, if you haven't seen Constantine, very good film. Go watch very it. Very old, um, bit of an old school film. It like, very, it's quite old. It's probably about what fifteen years old. But even spoiler alert, when the main main, you know, he was dying at the end, the devil came up for him. Yeah. Did he not? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. came up for him. Yeah. yeah. And then you saw God as as a force. As a force but you don't yeah. see him. Yeah. But probably, you know, I mean, not like someone else came down and if there's any movies out there, guys, that we haven't seen or we're not using as an analogy to this, let us know. All right. Email us, comment on our Instagram, our Facebook. Let us know if there's any movies out there that you can use as an al- analogy for this, because I can't think of one. In the slightest, see a lot of demons, and I don't want no one saying about that Jesus dragging the cross across the desert. I've seen that film; that's a very <laughs> long, boring, winded film. Okay, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to watch that again. There is, um, in is it Evan Almighty? Evan Almighty, like I was saying, you got Morgan Freeman as but, God, but yeah, it's not the same thing. That's a comedy, do you know. What I mean, you you see him, you mean yeah. in a serious form? Yeah. Well, well, horror's not really serious, is it? But do you know, no, what I mean? but it's... not in like a comedy form. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're saying. How do you know God's just a human? Okay. You, yeah. Getting way off the yeah, subject yeah. <laughs> today. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean, you know. I know what you're saying. I know where you're coming from. By the way, these are the conversations that happen in our little sh- home studio here. These are the conversations that happen before we hit record <laughs> that kind of teeter their way into the episode. I hope we haven't rambled too much at the beginning. Like we do try and stay off our rambling episodes. So today we are going to be covering the case of the Garden City Butcher. Okay. <laughs> you would think it would just be a butcher. Yeah? Yeah. If anyone knows what country is known as the Garden City, you may possibly know this case. Possibly. So this is based on a killer called the Garden City Butcher. On the 13th of March, 1995, in the busy marine terminal at Clifford Pier in Indonesia, a suspicious black package was seen floating in the water. 
The police coast guard attended the scene and inside they found what seemed to be two human legs. You would think this would be strange, right? You'd think that would be really, really odd that two human legs would just be floating in the body of water. It's not actually as strange as you would think, though. So Clifford Pier was actually like a really bustling area. And with that, obviously, comes marine accidents. And in this area, immigrants were actually known for kind of using that body of water as a means of making their way to like a new life illegally. So illegal immigrants. And obviously, inevitably, some of them would go overboard and they'd lose their lives. So, you know, those people could end up in the water and because there's heavy objects moving around and there's ferries and all that kind of stuff, you know, there's going to be propeller accidents and stuff like that. So it was quite common in this area. (coughs) As I said, barges and boats would travel the route regularly between Singapore and its surrounding islands, carrying workers between them. So there was kind of plenty of heavy equipment that could cause damage to a person if they were to fall in the water. Not just a bunch of mannequins that fell off. Not no, it it's never a mannequin. <laughs> it's very rarely a mannequin. <laughs> we covered this whole mannequin in the previous case, didn't we? It was a mannequin. So Zanael Abidin was allocated the task to attend the postmortem to find out if it was indeed an accident or if foul play was suspected. The two limbs were cleanly sle- severed at the knee, seemingly disarticulated. With this, the limbs were sent to the senior pathologist, Chow Se Ching, at the Singapore General Hospital Mortuary for his determination of what the cause of death was. Ching concluded that the time of death was roughly one or two days previously. The bones were removed with precision so cleanly that he felt it was likely performed by either a medical professional, a medical student, a butcher, or someone with extensive knowledge of the human anatomy. This wasn't a marine accident. This was a purposeful task. The investigating officers went on to check their records to see if there was any missing persons in the area and to see if there was kind of any files kind of recorded at the time around this accident in the last kind of few days. And luckily there was. A 32-year-old South African traveller by the name of Gerard Lowe his wife, Vanessa Lowe, had just reported him missing to his travel agent. Gerard and Vanessa met in college in 1989 in Johannesburg, South Africa, and they got married four years later. From kind of the little bit of information I could find about them, they seemed very much in love. She knew everything about him, even to the point of the colour of underwear that he had. <laughs> she knew exactly what colours underwear he had exactly the kind of bags he would carry if there was any damage to the bags he knew everything she knew everything about him she was very particular they had a very very honest and communicative marriage if either of them were going anywhere they would always tell each other they wouldn't do anything without first telling the other one yeah so they weren't the type of couple where one of them would just go missing for any kind of period of time it was super out of character Gerard was a design engineer and Vanessa owned a groomers. Gerard was known to be smart with money, so when he needed some new electronics for the home, he decided that it would actually be cheaper for him to fly to Singapore and purchase them in Singapore. Vanessa couldn't make the trip, she was too busy with work, so it was planned that Gerard would go alone. He would leave on the 7th of March 1995, 
once he got there and checked into the hotel at the other end the following morning, he would call her to give her the number so she knew how to contact him. Depending on when he could get a seat on the plane back, he was planning on either flying home on the 10th of March or the 12th of March, okay? So it's all dependent on when he could get a flight back home. Gerard called Vanessa when he was at Johannesburg Airport, left an answer phone message, confirming that he would call her once he landed in Singapore and got to the hotel. When she hadn't heard of him for some time, she started to get concerned as I said, this was totally, totally out of character for him to do anything like this. So now that the police knew that who they were looking for, they had a starting point. They had this one person that was missing. Realistically, it's likely to be this one person that they're kind of starting at. So they needed to track down the movements of Gerard Lowe from his flight landing in Singapore to how his potential body parts ended up in water off Clifford Pier. Right, yeah. Gerard hadn't had any accommodation booked for his stay once he landed in Singapore. And in the airport, he met a British man. He seemed polite, friendly, and he introduced himself as Simon Davis. They got talking, and Simon told Gerard that he'd visited Singapore loads and loads of times, and to save money, they maybe should share a room. You know? Gerard jumped at this opportunity. You know, remember, he's money orientated. He thinks about the money. He's thinking, you know, this can save me a little bit of cash. You know, what? You know, it's a sensible thing to do. Oh, I don't know. I don't wish I had a room I just met. Yeah, you wouldn't. But if being in this situation, he's flown from South Africa to Singapore yeah. to buy, electric, uh, buy electrics. Yeah. He's that kind of way, clearly. That was the way he was thinking about this. So it's all and, about know, money. The, all about well, money. no, not all about money, but he, he seemed kind of quite trusting of people. And Simon seemed really friendly. He was known to come across as very friendly, very charming, you know, very much that kind of person. He would blow you into a false sense of security. I still wouldn't share a room with someone. I, no you matter wouldn't. How, no, you no wouldn't. No matter how friendly they are. Do you know what I mean? Offer me a piece of candy. I still wouldn't share a room with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, well, little, here I have a bit of sweets. Stop. <laughs> Gerard did, okay. What we, I haven't told you yet, because Atty rudely interrupted, <laughs> was that Simon actually knew his way around Singapore. He said he'd been to Singapore loads of times, so he knew his way around. So Gerard jumped at this thinking, well, I've met someone that knows their way around. Fantastic. You know, this is hopefully helpful for me because it's the first time for him in this country. They attempted to book a room at the Orchard Room, and this was fully booked. So... They got into a taxi and made their way to the Riverview Hotel. They had to wait a little while for a room to become available, but they eventually did after a few hours, and they were given the keys to room 1511. This was the last time Gerard Lowe would be seen alive. So, I bet you're wondering, who the hell is Simon Davis? So, he was far from the persona that he had put forward to people and to his victims, and his past and future crimes would soon be laid to bear for everybody. Simon Davis is not Simon Davis. That was obvious. Simon Davis is John Martin Scripps. So who is John Martin Scripps? Because this is who we're talking about. We're not really talking about Simon Davis. We're talking about John Martin Scripps. Okay. He's took on this persona. He's took on this name. John Martin Scripps was born in Letchworth, Hertfordshire, on Wednesday the 9th of December 1959, to Jean and Leonard Scripps. 
their two children together, Janet, who was the oldest, and John followed. Leonard worked as a lorry driver and Jean was a barmaid. It was documented with him that him and his dad were kind of really, really close. They, He would go and travel with him in his lorry because he was a long, obviously a long-distance lorry driver. He would travel with him. He was always with him travelling. He adored his dad. Unfortunately, when John was nine, Leonard successfully committed suicide and he took his own life. And John actually found him. So I can imagine that was really traumatizing yeah, at that but it age. Was, yeah. Why did he commit suicide? Do you know? No, I don't think. I think he. I think from what I saw in one source, I didn't want to quote it because I'm not 100 percent sure. But um, I think there was like mental health struggles. Okay. So I mean, obviously, there there must be mental health struggles if you take your own life. Um, so yeah, he. Wow, he there could be loads of reasons why you take your own life. You know, I mean, you could just be at the time low. You could just. Yeah, I mean. It must be really traumatising to find that at nine years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, must... I, don't, I don't suppose, no matter how old you are, you find a dead body is a bit traumatising, isn't it, for, for anyone? And it's shocking, isn't it? Yeah, I think it doesn't matter how old you are. I think if you're, I can imagine just at nine years old, being absolutely adoring your dad mm. to then find that. Then I can imagine that, that must yeah. be really difficult. We've had this conversation before. Unfortunately, it's, it's part of life, isn't it? It you is, know, yeah. It's, it's not a good way to go, but... Yeah. It is what it is. Well, I mean, know. after this, as you can imagine, things started to climb for John. Um, he started to struggle with school. Um, he actually had undiagnosed dyslexia as well, um, which I'm not surprised around this time. You know, dyslexia wasn't a very common thing to be diagnosed at that like that age no. and that time. It wasn't, you know, until even like my school years that they even started really diagnosing it officially. So he kind of just started getting into trouble and struggling with school pretty much. Um, his family actually moved him and the family to the Isle of Wight. They run the Westgate Guest House, but his bad behaviour didn't stop. You know, at 15, he ended up leaving school. And soon after that, he was arrested and charged with his first crime in 1974 of burglary. He received a conditional discharge and just a fine, which he got off lucky, I would say. This didn't deter John, though, from committing more crimes. And he actually spent the next six years in and out of the courts for various kind of petty crimes, mainly revolving around burglary and theft. So it was pretty much just all around burglary and theft. Scripps was known to be a traveller. As I said, he would travel around with his dad. And even when his dad passed away, that didn't stop for John. He continued to be this kind of like free-ranging bird kind of type. He loved travelling around. He didn't want to be stuck in one place for too long. Right. So obviously not staying anywhere anywhere, anywhere very long. He would just kind of get up and go. And you would think, you know, that's cool. Live your life. You know, do you do you, boo. But he would disappear from places that he shouldn't be. Okay. So places where he should definitely not be disappearing from, he was. This was an issue from the moment that his dad died. Previously, he would travel with his dad, you know, driving, but now he was gone, he just continued to do this. On one of these travelling tangents, he ended up in Montreal, Canada, where he met and fell in love with Maria Pilar Arilanos. She was 15 at the time and he was 19. They fell in love with each other and two years later they moved to London together and they soon got married when she was a legal age. The honeymoon, though, didn't last very long. John was soon in trouble again with the police, and this time he was facing 10 counts of burglary and one count, count of common assault on a constable. 
So she was not happy with no. this at all, you know. Kind of newly married and he's being, you know. He's getting into trouble. Yeah, he's getting into massive trouble. So, And he was actually sentenced to three years in prison. So she was potentially facing three years without him there, potentially. You know, they've only been married a few years. John was granted home leave at one point during this stint. And while on home leave, he committed more burglaries, was caught, and he was given a further three years. So he three years was added onto his already three-year sentence. He's not a very good burglary, is he? Or robber, may I say? The funny thing is, is that I do say later on down it, like, he is a really bad criminal when it comes to thefts. Like, he always gets caught. Does, like, for he? the thefts, I'm not referring to what he ends up doing, but he always ends up getting caught for thefts. He's really bad thief. <laughs> Maria had finally kind of had enough with his shit and she immediately just filed for divorce. She hadn't signed up for any of this. He made her believe that he was into imports and exports. Right. She was not aware that he was basically a career criminal. That's basically what he was doing as a job. John was absolutely furious. He was besotted with her. And the thing is... He is a piece of shit. He is. He is a piece of shit. And you'll understand in a while why I say he's a piece of shit. But I I think, personally, he definitely loved her with all of his heart. I right. do think he did. And he made a point of saying this later on. He did absolutely adore her. I think, he, I genuinely believe, actually, that she's possibly the only person he ever loved, apart from himself. She soon moved on and met a man by the polar opposite of John. He was actually a police constable. So she went from a career criminal to a police constable. He was super, super well-respected. And you can imagine when John found out, he was not happy about this. You know, he tried to kind of inject himself into their marriage by kind of just trying to make her and her new husband's life just super difficult. How did, she, how did you find out, though, if he was in the banger? Because he was in and out, out of home leave. So they would let him on home leave all the time. What, out of jail? Yeah. So, like, if you Ooh, had you... good behaviour, if you were in, like, a low-security prison, they would let you out on home leave so, like, you could go home for a few days to visit family and you had to report back to prison. Why you didn't come back? Well, this is what this guy did. He didn't come back. He kept not coming back. Who made up that stupid rule then? You know what? If you can behave there, <laughs> you can leave for the weekend, but make sure you come back. No, that's exactly what if they that did. that was me getting three years or five years or whatever, yeah. they're like, oh, you good behaviour. You can go for a few days. Yeah. Make sure you come back. I ain't coming back, mate. I'm off. I'll see you a lot later. <laughs> but this is what they were doing. They were basically... You all right? I'm just thinking how much... Of a Are you that reason. angry? No, mate. <laughs> I just think how much stupid the system is. A good behaviour. You can go home. I just can't believe it. I understand. I understand the reason... They have an incentive to basically be good. I know what you're incentive. saying. The look on his face now. I wish you guys can see it. They have an incentive to be good in prison because they potentially can go home for a few days. I know somebody that this actually happened to. They got to go home. And what they're basically doing is they're basically preparing you for permanent release. That's what it's for, is to integrate you back into society. You don't have to have an opinion on it. Your face says it all. I just don't understand. If you've been caught doing the crime, you've got to do the time. Not get caught... 
do part of the time and then go home for a few days. I know. And then come back. It ain't a, ho- ain't a holiday away from home, is it? I know, I know. I'm not arguing I'm with just, you I about just don't, Who made up this rule? Look, I don't know. What place was this? Uh, this is prison. I think pretty sure it's like Albany prison. Yeah, where, where's that? The UK. This UK. Is, this is UK. Well, you know it's what? Ah, we're to fault here. <laughs> you know <laughs> this what? scenario. Most stupid rule ever. They still do this, though. Okay, they from still, this very day. Yeah, they still do home leave. I'm gonna go and commit crime. In, in lo- no, you're not. Yeah, I get home lower, leave. Don't worry about it. In lower you security the prisons, they do do this yeah, for I'll people that there's not like it's not classed as a violent crime. Okay, that's all right. I just go pretend to go steal something God. and then get caught. Why would you want to spend time in prison? I mean, because, you would avoid th- the energy crisis because <laughs> five days a week I'll get fed, cleaned, looked after. Weekend I can come home. <laughs> You know what I mean? Have comfort. Yeah, spend a bit of time with you and then go back again. <laughs> Life is easy. Okay, let's get off that. Nah. I've really riled him, guys. Fucking get caught and fucking get the weekend off. Oh, yeah, okay. It's like a job, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a job. So when he found out, um, he just kind of, as I said, he injected himself into their marriage and he did make their lives super, super difficult. And on one occasion, he actually broke into their home and stole all of his clothes. It's quite funny. <laughs> the worst thing is, I know that shouldn't be funny, but that's actually quite funny. <laughs> it's like one of those things, isn't it, where if you could go in and you could burgle a house and you do the most slightly annoying things or the most inconvenient things, what would you do? You'd go to a remote and take all the batteries out. <laughs> Stuff like that. I should take the remote. Yeah. So eventually John managed to destroy Maria's new marriage and with his kindness, continuous interference, they ended up actually getting divorced. You know, it was too much for them. They were both done with it. Him and her, they were just done with it. They weren't going to be doing this anymore. You know, they were just finished. While still in and out of prison, Scripps' crimes had kind of begun to escalate from countryside burglaries to smuggling cocaine and heroin between Asia, Europe and Colombia. Eventually, in 1987, because, as I said, he's a dumb criminal, he's not a very good criminal, he got picked up at Heathrow Airport on one of these trips between Asia and Europe for suspected drug trafficking. That's right, he'd be out on the weekend anyway. (laughs) He was arrested with a safety deposit key for a lockbox. This lockbox was actually for a bank in Singapore, which when they checked it, it had one and a half kilos of heroin inside. That's madness, isn't it? One and a half kilos of heroin. It was worth, at the time, about one million pounds. Yeah, that's a lot of heroin. So for this crime, he was given seven years sentence in HM Prison, Albany. But again, because Scripps either had a face they felt sorry for or he was just super good at convincing everyone, he got home leave again. (laughs) <laughs> which he never returned on time and as soon Why as he was come back the first time <laughs> as soon as he was transferred he was transferred to a lower level prison where he was actually trained by one of the by one of like the prison security people to be a butcher so he was trained to how to properly butcher in october of 1994 prison warden felt that he was fit for home leave again. His mum, Jean, told the prison 
that it was the wrong choice and he would run off. She knew this because she had found out that he had basically been flogging all of his belongings. So everything he owned, he had been selling off. Yeah? yeah? Why does that matter? Is his stuff? Because he had no plan on staying. When he got back out on home leave, his plan was to sell everything mm. and then leave the country. He was not planning on returning back to the UK at all. So he was planning on basically fleeing the country completely. Yeah, but who wouldn't know? Well, I mean, I'm not going to go down this whole route, okay? Because this could go on for ages, okay? Unbeknownst to anyone, on one of Scripps' home visits, he had visited a friend and ex-convict, Simon Davis. And he stole his birth certificate. He took that with him on a random trip to Singapore. And whilst he was there, he applied for a passport under the name Simon Davis at the British High Commission in Singapore. They granted him it. And he was basically freely travelling anywhere under this new assumed identity and not his now legal name. Yeah. Okay, so he could apply for anything under this new name that he has. Scripps spent the next several months travelling around the world before he eventually landed in Singapore on the 8th of March, 1995. As he was sat at Changai Airport, he spotted Gerard Lowe, who had just flew in from Johannesburg. They got chatting. Simon slash John introduced himself to introduced himself as Simon Davis. And as I said earlier, they got chatting, went and went to a hotel room together. Mm-hmm. From what we know, this is from what we know and from what he kind of admitted, when they got to the room, Gerard started going through his shopping list, eager to kind of make a start on buying the stuff that he kind of planned to buy. But before he could even continue, he was attacked with a stun gun that then disabled him. Once he was incapacitated, Scripps began beating him to death over the head with a 1.3 kg hammer. Once he was sure that he was dead, he dragged his body into the bath and began meticulously dismembering his body into more manageable sizes for him to place into black bags and then put those body parts into Gerard's own empty suitcase that he had brought with him for his electronics he was going to buy. And he put that in the wardrobe until he could figure out what he was going to do with Gerard Lowe's remains. He then made sure to clean himself up before raiding Gerard's wallet, taking his passport, his wallet, all the money and his credit cards. He spent the rest of the day shopping, ending up with a slap up steak dinner at the River Garden restaurant, basically just rinsing Gerard's bank account. Yeah, of course. The following morning, he told the reception desk to remove Gerard's low name off the room because he had made a sexual advance on him and he had basically told him to get out the night before. This day, he managed to withdraw $6,000 from a DBS bank, $2,400 from another bank. He purchased a video recorder, which he sent to his sister back home for her birthday and then went wild buying all sorts of electrics and shoes. He also, with this money, attended a symphony orchestra at the Victoria Concert Hall. So he just basically had a whale of a time on this money. 
On the 11th of March, Scripps threw the contents of the suitcase and the bags into the river at 5.30am, and this was seen by the security guard at the hotel. He then checked out of that room. He made his way to a Thomas Cook office where he attempted to transfer $8,500 in cash, $7,000 in traveler's checks to the Bank of San Francisco in the name of John Martin. Okay. Yeah. They told him that something kind of, they couldn't transfer the money over. I think there was like a, something going on with it and take a few days. Okay. So he decided that, okay, well, I'll leave this here for a few days and I'll come back to basically finish whatever business I've got. Yeah. I think there was something going on because it was such a large amount of money. So Scripps ended up booking an open ticket to Bangkok, Thailand and left Singapore on the 11th of March. This was two days before Gerard's Lowe's remains had even started to surface. So two days before his legs turned up. Right. All right. He'd already left Singapore. Mm-hmm. On the 13th of March, Gerard's legs were found floating in black bags in the Singapore River. Three days later, on the 16th of March, his torso and his thighs were also found floating in the river. Unfortunately, though, his head and his arms were actually never recovered, and it kind of was never made clear on where Scripps actually dumped them, unfortunately. So we don't know where his head or his torso were. It was was his head and his arms, sorry. We don't know where they were dumped. Um, At this time, the police had started to kind of piece everything together, they had been to the room that the pair had shared. They couldn't find a lot, though. Um, they did manage to find, though, like a small amount of blood spatter on the pedestal of the toilet okay. and on the bath walls. All I'm going to say is, everyone always misses the pedestal. <laughs> Why do people miss the pedestal every single time? It's like it doesn't exist. The blood samples were tested against a blood sample supplied by Gerardo's sisters, and these ended up actually being a familial match. Thankfully, the police did their kind of thing, contacted Scotland Yard to find out where this Simon Davis was, basically, because they only had, they didn't know anything about John Martin Scripps. They just knew he shared a room. So what they basically did is they got Scotland Yard to find out where this Simon Davis was. They were actually informed that Simon Davis was actually in the UK currently. So if Simon Davis is in the UK, who is this Simon Davis that is flying to Thailand from Singapore yeah. who has a flight booked? Didn't take long for the real Simon Davis to actually snitch on John Martin's scripts for the theft of his birth certificate. And they concluded that scripts had most definitely stolen his identity and he had been kind of swanning around the world with Simon Davis's identity, just committing crimes basically under that identity. The great thing, though, about this particular investigation was that it all slotted together so quickly that Scripps had no idea any of this had been going on. So he didn't know he'd been sussed out now. So because it happened so quick, they knew that he would be landing in Singapore at some point. So they were already like, "Okay, we're just waiting for him. We're just waiting for him to land back and they could arrest him then. But there is a big but in this. Gerard, unfortunately, wouldn't be his last victim. Okay. On the 15th of March in Phuket, Thailand, Scripps had just landed and he wasted no time in finding a new victim. As per his modus operandi, he got talking to two people, John DeMood and Sheila DeMood, a mother and a son travelling on holiday. They met at the airport and, ironically, 
they had checked into the same hotel being the Nillies Marina Inn. They were travelling from BC Canada on just a week's holiday together, just chilling out. He actually had like um, an injured foot okay. at the time, so he was on scr- um, on crutches at the time. At the hotel, they arranged to kind of meet the following morning for breakfast. You know, they got chatting and they kind of, they got on. You know, as I said, he was friendly. He was, he was, people connected with him, you know. Yeah, people got on with him. He was as charming. You do, like, to be fair, you do. How many people we, people we speak to when we go on holiday? Do you yeah. have a few drinks with him? If you're, you've got to remember as well, if you're in a different country and you meet someone that speaks English and you're around people that speak Thai or, you know, any of these other languages, a foreign language to what you can speak, sometimes you do cling on to that. So I can understand that. So they arranged to kind of meet the following morning for breakfast, um, but Scripps had already had another plan for that. The following morning, he knocked on their door as kind of the prearranged time for breakfast and he kind of managed to make their, his way into their room. And before they could even find out what was going on, he used his stun gun to disable them. So the same is exactly what he did to Gerard before, yeah. He bit them both to death with a hammer until they were dead. And he began dismembering both of their bodies in the bath, just like he did to Lowe. And this took him just under an hour to dismember both bodies. And he literally only used... A serrated knife, a pull-out knife, and a Swiss Army knife. Right. That's all he had. Yeah. Dismember two, like two fully grown been fully human trained, beings. That's a lot, though. Like that's a lot of that's a lot to do yeah. in under an hour. <laughs> yeah. He distributed their body parts in a tin mine and on a small road, like at the side of a small road. He then spent some time forging their documents and cards to, again, get access to as much of their money as he could, the same as what he'd done previously. Scripps told the reception that the Demute had left and he would settle their bill. So he paid their bill. They didn't think anything of it. He just paid their bill and said that they left. You know, they're not to think anything more of it, really. And for the next four days, we're not 100% sure what he did for those four days. We're not... His movements weren't tracked... But he did finally get a flight back to Singapore. Right. And this landed on the 19th of March. Of course he was going to, because he had all this money tied up yeah, at this course, Thomas, yeah. Cook's, Thomas Cook office. Of course he was going to fly back. Obviously, as soon as he landed, he was immediately arrested and he was taken straight to a holding cell. In his luggage, when it was searched, the officer found the stun gun, a bottle of mace, handcuffs, four knives, the hammer and documents belonging to all three victims. So what you've got to remember is they're only aware of the murder of Gerard Lowe. They don't have a clue about the other two, the Demudes. They, yeah. They've got no idea about any of this until they found their IDs and documents in his luggage. They have no idea about any of this. So when they ended up kind of going through it all, they didn't have much on the Demudes. They didn't have a lot on them. They didn't have much evidence or anything like that, just their IDs. It was pretty circumstantial, but they had quite a lot on the potential murder of Gerard Lowe. Mm-hmm. So Scripps ended up being charged with the murder of Mr. Lowe, and he was taken to trial on the 2nd of October, 1995. Testimony and evidence showed clearly that Scripps and Scripps alone was responsible for the death of Gerard Lowe, despite his defence trying to state otherwise. So his defence argued that 
he had killed Gerard Lowe in the room after he was woken up by a half-naked Lowe smiling and touching his buttocks. <laughs> Don't laugh. <laughs> Just after meant to say it was. He said, quote, I am not a homosexual, and at that time it appeared to me Mr Lowe was a homosexual. I freaked out, I kicked out and started swearing. I had experience of such things in the past and I was very frightened, end quote. This is what he genuinely put forward in court. Right. Scripps said he used three pound camping hammer to quote hit Lowe several times on the head until he collapsed on the carpeted floor. He said, My right hand was covered with blood. Everything happened so quickly. So after really realizing Lowe was dead, Scripps said he sought some help from a in quotes British friend whom he refused to name. The friend apparently disposed of the body without telling him how. Scripps denied that it was him who cut up Lowe's body, however. The defence tried to show Scripps did not intend to kill Lowe and that the killing was an act of manslaughter, which in Singapore only carries a life sentence. All right? Only a life sentence. There's a death penalty. Oh, is there? During the trial, Scripps attempted suicide multiple times, knowing that he was going to be facing a death penalty if he was found guilty. They do have the death penalty, and it's not as it's not as in Singapore, yeah, yeah. And it's not as um, not even humane, but it's not as it's it's not what they do in other places in the world. The prosecution made sure to kind of add into any evidence of the demudes. So what they basically did was they decided to add in as much evidence that they had about the demudes. He was never charged for it and he wasn't on trial for it. Yeah. But they brought it into the trial purposefully to show that it kind of, what he was saying about Lowe didn't ring true. Mm-hmm. None of that ring true at all. You know, they weren't, he didn't kill him during a fight or anything like that. That didn't, that wasn't true. This was a case of a money hungry man who would quite literally just kill for money. That's what his plan was. On the 7th of November, after a month of evidence, Judge T.S. Sindre found him guilty and sentenced him to death by hanging. The judge said that he was convinced that Scripps killed and dismembered the Demudes, but added that he decided Scripps' guilt independently of the evidence that was found in Thailand. He said, quote, on the evidence, I had no difficulty to find that it was Scripps who was concerned with the deaths of Sheila and John for the disposal of their body parts found in different sites in Phuket, Thailand. The disarticulation of the body parts of Lo, Sheila and John have the hallmark signs of having been done by the same person. End quote. The judge said the Thai evidence was materially relevant because it rebuted Scripps' defence that he killed Lo unintentionally in a fight. Scripps' attorney appealed appealed a decision, but this was actually withdrawn on the 4th of January 1996 on Scripps' request. On the 19th of April 1996, so the following year, um, his sister Janet and his mother Jean said goodbye to him 12 hours before his execution. Under Singaporean law, um, they would not have been allowed to kind of be present at the hanging. And Janet said in a later quote, how do you say goodbye to your brother like that? We didn't actually say the word. I just couldn't. Yeah. So in a final note, he wrote, quote, the spelling's quite bad, by the way. I'll just say that. But I'll say exactly what he wrote. 
Quote, on one day poor, one day reach, money fills the pain of hunger, but what will fill the emptiness inside? I know that love is beyond me, so do I give myself to God, the God that has betrayed me? You may have my, you may take my life for what it is worth, but grant those I love peace and happiness. Can I be a person again? Only time will tell me. End quote. The three victims we know about, unfortunately, may not be the only victims. Mm. So they might not be the only victims that Scripps took the life of. He was unfortunately suspected of other victims as well. So there was a disappearance of an American man in Belize in 1995. So that same year that he committed those murders, um, an American man went missing in Belize. Um, His body was later found dismembered and thrown into crocodile-infested water. Another American man in 1994 in Cancun, Mexico, had also disappeared without a trace. So that was the year before he was doing all these other murders to Lowe and the Canadians and all that lot. Um, Financial transactions actually was linked from their accounts to Scripps' accounts. So that's how he was linked to them. So financial transactions showed that there was links between them and him. Yeah. So... He was never obviously found. They never did any more research into it about if he was actually guilty of these. But, I mean, there's very good likelihood that he probably was. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have been dismembered and all these other things. You know, there potentially could be other people. But I think when you start putting into the fact that there's financial transactions shown on bank accounts from these people's bank accounts that have been found murdered and dismembered around the same time... And then from yeah, yeah, I think it's likely in in my opinion. What do you guys think? I mean, it could be someone else, but the money transactions just seem a bit too convenient yeah, for me. Our tenants are always about money, and you kill it's generally. You kill someone, yeah. take their money because you need money to escape or yeah. get away somewhere else. You yeah. kill again because money comes dry. Do you know, what I mean, it could have just been yeah, it could be it's just been exactly the same thing. You know, thing is as well though, there was a third murder victim that he was also linked to and this was an american woman in 1994 and she was actually a sex worker right so not his normal kind of victim mm. who he would go for um and she was found dismembered in a dumpster so i don't think that one's probably him to be no, honest with you it been... seems way off field what he normally did yeah. um, there's no financial there's no financial kind of connection there at all so i don't think that but I mean, if we look at his history, it seems like he could possibly be responsible for those murders. Um, But we'll never know, you know. He never confessed to any of that. Um, He never confessed to any of that. It took him ages and ages. When he was, um, like, locked up, when he was actually arrested at the airport, he didn't speak for ages. Like, they didn't even get a word out of him. He wouldn't even admit his name. (laughs) They just said... Male, basically, male in front of me. That's who they directed him as because they didn't, he wouldn't basically confess to his own name. Right. So he stayed quiet during a lot of it. I mean, he did eventually open up a little bit, but he stayed pretty quiet during it all. Best to say nothing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in this scenario, probably is best to say nothing. Yeah. But what do you think of that one, Addy? Bit crazy, isn't it? Like, when I was researching this, I thought, oh, this is just going to be like one of those where, because he's known as the traveling serial killer. 
that's what he's known as and the garland city butcher but he's known as the travelers like the traveling serial killer yeah that's what they've named him yeah that was like yeah it wasn't used as much as the garden city butcher um but i've never heard of this man before this and i quite like doing cases that like i don't see any of i looked this up and i couldn't see many people that had covered this case right so i thought it was quite interesting when i started looking into it it was really interesting and more and more things were coming up i never expected these three other people that he potentially also murdered. I did not expect them to come up in the slightest. It was crazy because it was just like you were opening up layers of an onion and just more stuff more, was yeah. coming out. And you're like, is this guy for fucking real? Like, you've got to think as well, you don't start just randomly dismembering people out of thin air. That doesn't just happen. You know, it's normally more advanced killers that tend to do stuff like that. It's not, people don't just do that for like their first murder. It's normally something that develops over yeah, time. You start somewhere, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think dismembering is just a very, um, I don't know, it just seems very extreme to me to be a starting point. But, well, you don't know, do you? you, you you're not in that mindset, are you? So you just... And the, that's the thing. I think the other thing is, is that I am not, a psychologist i'm not a trained psychologist you and me either are that um if there are anybody out there listening that does actually know anything about this that is actually qualified in it what do you think you know but most of the time people don't escalate that quickly from no murders to dismemberment to that extreme it seemed like he had kind of like a kill kit a little bit like what some big serial killers have you know he had a stun gun he had mace he had handcuffs he had his knives he had everything there Maybe didn't want to waste no time. Go big or go home, as I say. <laughs> so we hope you all enjoyed that episode. It was a little bit of a different one today. You know, a, a, not as much of an, a known serial killer, I would say. And this case was actually really interesting to research. So I hope you all really enjoyed this one um, as much as I enjoyed researching it. So our normal stuff, I will post um, all the information, all of our sources and stuff in our show notes. Um, just for anyone that is wondering why I haven't linked our Patreon even anymore, um, I found that it's super hard for people to even find it. Not a lot of people know what Patreon is, surprisingly. Um, I don't think you even knew what it was. What did you until I've I heard, told you? Yeah, I've, no, I've heard of it before, but I've not much, not, about, not it, much no. about it. No, apparently it's really, really hard to get onto um, and to like join and subscribe. So what we've basically done is some people might notice um, that I have removed all of our Patreon. I've unpublished the page and I have basically added subscriptions onto our Spotify now. So our once a month extra bonus episode will be up every single month. We don't have a set time for it just whenever. Um, we will post that onto Spotify, but it will be a subscribed episode. So it's a fee and you get whenever... I upload a bonus episode, it will be on that subscribed feed. All the rest of our episodes, again, will stay totally, totally free. So there's absolutely no pressure there at all. You know, if you want to support us, not support us, just listening to us is a huge, huge support. And we really appreciate you guys tuning in every two weeks to listen to us. So have you got anything you would like to add, babe? No, no. Thank no. you guys for everything, for listening, like Jess said before. Um, 
if someone could get back to me about the whole demon thing that we had a conversation <laughs> at the beginning, that'd be great. Or recommend any movies I can I can watch. Yeah, right. most definitely. Again, that would help be much... us out, guys. Help <laughs> us out on that one. So we can end this debate once and for all. Yeah. I will pop our pictures and stuff from this case onto our Instagram and on our Facebook, most likely. And if you would like to give us um if you would like to give us any case suggestions, anything like that. I will link down our email address where you can always contact with us with any case suggestions, anything like that at all. Or if you just want to email us. Um, also, please, guys, if you could rate and review us, it's super, super duper helpful um, just to kind of let other people know. You know, we would love if you could give us a five star review or any reviews really, really helpful. If you've got any constructive criticism for us, give us an email. You know, we're totally open to constructive criticism. We are still relatively newish to this. We're coming up to our 30th episode. And, you know, we really appreciate you guys tuning in every few weeks. So have a fantastic weekend and we will speak to you guys in a few weeks. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye bye.